This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure, who are here to make procurement simple, offering great value and quality for products and services, all for zero cost. And what business wouldn't want that? I am delighted that their support will now help keep this show accessible and free to listen to wherever you access your podcasts. Please get in touch with them for a chat. Just click on their link in the show notes or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to a special episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. In our bonus episodes, we like to give some airtime to stories and individuals that are doing something just that little bit special. Today's guest is Tom Morphew, CEO of Full Circle Farms and Regenerative Farming Champion. Coming up on today's show... Tom gives us the most original excuse ever for skipping lessons. And I didn't have to go to the lessons I didn't want to go to because I was covered in afterbirth, so... Phil gets into limbo dancing. You know, how low, how low, how low, how low... And Tom and Phil give the greatest rhythmical ending to any show ever. Good stuff. Cool. Nice one. All right, mate. Take care. I'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Cheers. All that and so much more as we chat through Tom's absolutely epic story so far, as well as getting stuck into a little bit about regenerative farming. Tom's story is absolutely inspirational, not only in terms of how much adversity he's had to overcome to get to where he is now, but also the work he is doing to get regenerative farming on the map. There are so many lessons in here for us all. A huge thank you to Tom for sharing so openly throughout. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really does make a huge difference. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to this special episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Special because today I'm doing something just a little bit different, but no less relevant to the world of hospitality as we move into the world of farming and not just any farming, regenerative farming. I don't profess to be a a specialist in this area by any stretch of the imagination. All I know is that I've begun to care quite deeply about that. So I thought it would probably best to get somebody along who knows a hell of a lot more about it than I do. Definitely ticks the farming box, but has also got some very strong ties to hospitality. So without further ado, I'm delighted to welcome the CEO of Full Circle Farms in Sussex, Tom Morphew. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a busy morning, but uh, we're back in the office now. Good, good, good. Yes. Well, I mean, um, yeah, we'll come on to bits and pieces that you've done within hospitality over the course of the conversation, uh, I'm sure. But where are you today? Where are you recording this? Um, At the moment, I'm just at home at the moment. uh, I live just down the road from our farm. Um, I don't actually live on the farm. In the future, we hope to um, buy our our own farm um, so we don't have any landlords. Um, That's the grand plan. So I'm just at home at the moment. So uh, uh, yeah, you know, I nip up, nip back up the farm later, check on the chickens, and do all the watering and everything else later. Very, very good, good, yeah, yeah. Well, I I learned about you because I um uh I stayed at Birch in the pre-opening in Hertfordshire. You were at that time were were involved with them, and you were doing tours of the grounds and the plan of the grounds and all that. And actually, you were a hundred percent responsible for me having my mind blown basically <laughs> around the what we've kind of been doing wrong in the land what we can do to make it right and I walked away from that incredibly inspired and it also made me think about where my food was coming from both in terms of meat and vegetables and uh, and the like so thank you for saving me <laughs> <laughs> it's all right I'm glad um, I'm glad you got something from it I mean that is always the intention when I do my kind of farm tours and talks is to really kind of make people think uh, and if I can make people think 
that gets the ball rolling with everything else. I mean, they're then looking into the avenues of where the food comes from and what we're doing to the environment. And it kind of helps to to cut out the nonsense we sometimes hear on the on the social medias and and on the news and things. Not all farmers are bad. Not all farming is bad. And if farming is done in the correct way, it can actually save the the, the environment and the, and the climate rather than destroy it. So uh, yeah, I'm there to kind of fight the farmer's corner, if you like. Brilliant. Well, we'll we'll definitely come into that. And we'll delve into that a little bit down down the line. But actually, I want to get into your story and kind of how you've ended up here. So, yeah, just take us all the way back to the, the beginning of your life. <laughs> how did you get into to, to what you're doing? Well, um, it all started when I was very, very young. Um, I had my first little business when I was 12 years old. I started a little gardening around in my local village. Um, I used to push a lawnmower around with a big bag on top of it with all my tools in and go and do about 15 or 20 little gardens. And that was the kind of start of my horticultural career. Um, right. I wasn't very academic. I was a bit of an naughty boy at school. Uh, my school I went to, my secondary school, was Oak Hall. Uh, and Oak Hall Community College has its own farm on site, which is incredible. Right. And a massive lifeline for me. So a lot of the time I wasn't in certain lessons. I was bunking off and I was uh, hiding on the farm. So I got very good at identifying when different animals were going to give birth. And I'd hang around and uh, jump in the pen. By the time the teachers caught or found me, I was in a pen with two twin lambs or a couple <laughs> of piglets or something. And I didn't have to go to the lessons I didn't want to go to because I was covered in afterbirth. So that was... Nice. The, well, that's, that's, a great, that's probably the greatest excuse that would exist. To, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. Why didn't you do your homework? Because I was yeah. covered in afterbirth. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. And um, that's where I kind of first I don't know, got a glimpse of what I was good at I knew it was I wasn't academic and I and, and I had no interest in being as well that was the kind of key thing I just wasn't interested in it at all it didn't excite me I couldn't see the point in it but what did interest me is what was going on around me so life be the animals plants the environment everything and I spent all of my childhood was spent outside we'd leave the house at eight in the morning and wouldn't get back till eight or nine o'clock at night and my mum rung a bell that we could hear from miles away and we would come back and we spent the whole day in the woods and in the fields and things. And uh, as I got older, I started working for my dad. My dad was a builder, so I'd go and do labouring for him at the weekends. He always told me, don't ever be a builder. You'll break your bank. There's no money in it. It's a rubbish job. Go and get a proper job. So I'm like, okay, I won't do that. Right. Um, at the same time, I was working for local farmers. So I was a fit, strong lad when I was younger. And local farmers, small and large scale, would ring me up and ask if I wanted a day's work or a weekend's work. Some other days were coming up, you know, lambing time, whatever. And I would go and do lambing, I would go and drive tractors, I'd be lumping bales onto trailers all day long. Uh, and I loved it. And all the farmers told me, don't ever go into farming, there's no money in it, break your bank. <laughs> oh, hang on, what, what am I going to do? You know, Lots of inspirational stories here. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Is there any money in anything? Well, apparently not, no. If you say. <laughs> so I decided I'd be a gardener. I'd kind of be in the middle. I'd, do, right. I'd get into a little bit of both. So I went to Plumpton College. I started my apprenticeship, um, and it was on a little farm in uh, in Linfield. That's where my boss um, owned his little yard, and we went there every morning. I brought my car from that farm as well, my first car. And after three years, I became a decorative horticulturist, got my qualifications. Um, I asked my boss for a pay rise. He said no, and then he went and employed some other people and paid them more than me. So that was that was me. That was me done. 
So nice. I left um, and started my own business. My first proper business I, I ran uh, when I was 18 was called The Naked Gardener. Uh, which is a whole different podcast, probably. <laughs> but, Fair enough. Oh, no, no, yeah. that, it sounds like there's a story here, for sure. There is, yeah, there's a long story. The, the, the idea of it was um, Jamie Oliver was starting up at the same time, and he was the naked chef. I thought, yeah. well, he, he seems to be getting some traction with this. I mean, I'm going to be the naked gardener then. And uh, the idea was that you'd see my van drive past, and you'd take a second look, because it says naked up the side, instead of just Tom's landscaping or whatever. It's, it looked yeah, different. yeah, yeah. I needed to set myself apart. And that was my first introduction into branding and, and business, really. So I ran that for till 2009. Um, I was doing predominantly garden maintenance. Garden maintenance turned into build, rebuilding a doorstep. A doorstep turned into a patio. Patios turned into driveways. Driveways turned into roads. Garden sheds turned into bespoke tree houses. And landscaping got bigger and bigger and bigger. So at one point, I was kind of the, one of the biggest landscape companies in Sussex. And we were doing some amazing big projects. It was just mainly me and the dog to start with. Eventually, I had five people working for me, and we built some pretty amazing gardens. There's always a dog, isn't there? Always yeah, a dog. Yeah, there's always a dog. There has to be always be a dog. So um, yeah. after a while, um, I was young. I was only 22 at the height of it, and uh, 2009 came along. And uh, we used to be booked up work a year ahead. That then quickly stopped because of the, the crisis and everything going on. And house yeah. prices dropping, and we had six months work cancelled in two weeks, uh, and then another six months cancel work. Oh, and you, yeah. I had to get rid of the blokes and downscale everything. I didn't do it quick enough. I was young. I didn't put any money aside, and I had to fold the whole lot up in the end. So then right. I thought, well, I can't. And then we were into the winter. Normally in the winter, if it's a quiet winter, I would go and drive diggers and things on building sites. Um, and I do that for the winter, and then when the weather picked up, I go back to the gardening. But there was such a bad winter, there wasn't even any um, digger work out there. So right. my wife found me a job um, as a delivery driver for Tesco's, and this is the start of where hospitality and gardening and farming came together. Okay, so yeah. I went and worked for Tesco's. I went as a deliveries driver, went for the interview, and they offered me the job as deliveries manager. So. I became a deliveries manager. Uh, and ironically, the place I went to work at, their big dot-com store, I'd built the year before, driving diggers and doing all the groundwork. So right. I knew where it was. That's, um, that's another full circle. Exactly, yeah. So <laughs> I was in charge of kind of 200 drivers, making sure they had everything they needed to go out on the road and then send them out in the vans to do deliveries. And sometimes I was still doing deliveries. And then as time went on and we got busier in the store, it was a brand new store, I got asked to... Um, to, to deal with the fair share waste food going out. So what's that? And so when we have stuff going near its sell-by date, we send it off to this company called Fair Share, and they distribute it out through food banks. I was like, okay, God, I've heard about food banks, and it's needed, and that's excellent, cool. So I said to a couple of drivers, the vans are loaded up with stuff for Fair Share, can you take off to Brighton and go and deal with that? And then about an hour later, the drivers were, came back, and I opened the side of the van, it was all still full. And I was like, what's going on? They said, well, they're full up. They can't take any more. At the time, Fair Share were a very small company. So, all right, well, okay. I spoke to my manager. I said, what did all this stuff? Is I was supposed to go on a skip now. So, right, okay. So, reverse these lorries up to a skip. And we emptied all of that food into a skip. Packs and packs of, of Tesco finest steak, boxes of veg and fruit and bread, all going in there, all wrapped in plastic into this giant skip. And I, it was breaking my heart to do it. I'm, I'm just throwing away food here. Yeah. And then I'm in the car on the way home, I'm still hearing on the radio about 
people you know, struggling to feed their kids proper food and turkey twizzlers and all this rubbish. I'm, I'm just thrown away. Tesco's finest British bread beef steaks. You know, what, what are we doing? Yeah, well, where's it all gone wrong? Where's it all gone wrong? Uh, and it all comes down to greed, basically. We're more, more, more. Food's being made cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. So it becomes a throwaway product. Years ago, we would never have done that. And it really yeah. wound me up. Needs to say, I didn't last very long at Tesco's because I'm an outside kind of boy and I was stuck in a big warehouse surrounded by food and it was a very boring job. I put on a lot of weight. Um, <laughs> so I left Tesco's. And I got a job working in uh, in central London. So I went and had a, lots of different interviews, different people. And I came back one day and I uh, said to the wife, I, I got the job. And she's like, oh, which job did you get? And I was like, the one in London. She's like, but you've never been to London. I was like, I have once now. So that was my first introduction <laughs> to London. So I started working for the Westway Development Trust um, as a grounds and gardens manager, looking after all the grounds and gardens under the A40 flyover uh, in between Portobello Road and Labrick Grove and White City and things. Okay, yeah. Um, again, another big eye-opener. I, I rode into work one day, and uh, within the first hour, I kind of met the team, the gardening team, gone for a walk around to all the different little parks we're supposed to be looking after, and there was a group of kids who were smashing up one of the parks. So I walked oh. in, and I said, right, what are you doing? Clear off. Their instant reaction was to pull a flick knife on me. So uh, Okay. So I took the flick knife off them and, uh, and kicked them out. <laughs> just the like that. Yeah, just like that. Well, I've been, a, I've been a doorman for four years during um, oh, okay. when I was a bit of landscaping. That's what I used to do in the evening as well. So I was no stranger to having knives and bottles and things pulled on me. So I um, dealt with that. But my instant reaction was these were 13, 14-year-old kids. And their first reaction to authority was to pull a knife on me. And yeah. I never experienced that before from kids. So I started working with these kids and their parents um, and teaching them about horticulture and where food comes from and growing and, and the world around them, really. Green space in London is so rare. And the, if you do have a bit of green space, it has a lot of people on it in, on a lovely day. So I started working with these kids and we did this um, this little project where we were potting on plants, ready for bedding plants to go in these parks. Is this the same group of kids? This is Effectively. Some of them were the same group of kids. Some of them were, were different kids and things, but some yeah. of them were the same kids. That's, I mean, that that in itself is uh, it kind of highlights the, the the social theory around actually, if you give kids enough to do, then this, this is it. I mean, yeah, any, anyone who from from kids who are pulling knives on people to drug addicts to alcoholics, they've all got a reason they're behaving in that way. And it's not mm. because because they want to behave in that way. They don't see any other way of behaving or dealing with life and what life's throwing at them. We don't gear kids up for what life is going to be like when they leave school, Yeah, um, especially these days. So start working with these kids and one of the kids turned around, actually one of the parents turned around and asked me which way up the plant went that we were potting on. And I thought they were joking. And it turns <laughs> out they, they really weren't joking. They had no idea what was a root and what was the top of the plant. So I had to explain right. that, Christ, you know, I've come from a rural environment where I've been brought up with plants and growing and nature. These kids haven't got a clue, let alone their parents haven't got a clue. So that lesson will never get passed down. Yeah. So I thought, well, okay, another thing I need to address. And I was basically building up all this knowledge and all these thoughts. And being dyslexic, that's the way my brain works. I'm always thinking of different ways I can I can create a business or help people or do something. Eventually, I left there. I, I, I had my first child when I was there. So little Freddie came along. 
after three years, I was kind of sick of the commute. I'd, I'd done the train. I'd tried driving for a bit, and, and I was now on a motorbike commuting from Hayward Seaf up to London every day. And it was on, one day on the way home, it started to snow. And uh, I was on the motorway on my motorbike. It was a big BMW. And um, there was slush in the middle of the road. And I was, it was all a bit sketchy. But there was a car right up behind me on the M25. So I pulled over, let this car go, because I didn't want him up right up my arse, basically. Yeah. Um, at the time I pulled over to let him go, the car in front slammed on its brakes. And there was a big pileup. And I just pulled out of it on my motorbike. Oof. And so I thought, I'm not sure I want to do this anymore. Um, I would yeah. quite happy. I want to try. I've got to try and find a job at home, close to my family. Somebody's given you a sign that. Yeah, someone's given yeah. me a bit of a heads up. Like maybe this isn't the best thing. And I was getting bored of London life and the hustle and bustle and the rush and the stress and everything that comes with London. Basically, it was all very yeah. exciting for the first couple of years because that was my first time ever being in London as well. So yeah. It was all quite exciting, but that wore off for me pretty quickly. And one of the projects I tried to start at Westway was um, turning a, a little kind of park. There wasn't much in the park. It was mainly lawn space and bedroom on the outside. Maxilla Gardens, it was called. It's now a community hub and community garden area, which is cool. At the time, I wanted to turn it into a small community farm, an inner city farm, teaching the community how to grow fruit and veg. And the Westway Development Trust owned a few restaurant buildings and things that they rented out. So my idea was to collect food waste from these restaurants, turn that into compost, use that compost to then grow the next season's veg at the same time as educating and teaching people about how that process happens. They then get to be part of that process. The restaurants will get amazing fruit and vegetables and everyone's benefiting from it. It was a brilliant idea. Everyone was on board. But the Westway being a charity and I was working with Kensington Chelsea um, Council no one wanted to, for want for a better word, put their cock on the block and do it. <laughs> there was a lot of talking, a lot of meetings, and I, I'm a doer. I didn't want to get on and do things. And so I got frustrated eventually. It wasn't happening, so I left. And I thought, I'm going to do this myself. My wife had other ideas. Um, by now, we've got the second child on the way. And I'm a dad. I need to provide for my family. I can't go off on some whim trying to create this farm and, and income. So I went and worked for another landscape company, they were local, they are in Brighton, I thought, perfect, I can do that. Turns out all of their work was in London, so I found myself driving back up to London, doing projects in London. Eventually, I left there and worked for Gavin Jones, which was a massive, massive company, and I was a operations manager. And I started working in central London again um, in Elephant and Castle, part of the regeneration project there, and I was in charge of all the public realm landscaping and the, and the gardens between the new builds and things. Yeah, which at the time seemed very exciting to me. It was the most money I'd earned ever in my career. It was a kind of peak of my horticultural career, if you like. Only problem was it was incredibly stressful. I was leaving at five in the morning, and I was I was always the last to leave site, and I'd get home about ten o'clock every night, and then doing that all week. At the weekends, I was ruined. Just, I was yeah, yeah, yeah. Having migraines, I then started getting really, really stressed. I was physically being sick at work. I found myself locking myself in the disabled toilets just to hide because I couldn't face going down to site to deal with all the nonsense that big projects like oh, that wow. come with. Yeah, it's definitely time for a change. Yeah, one day I was driving home and um, I had blurred vision over one eye and I couldn't quite see correctly. Eventually, my wife made me go to the hospital and I got fluid between the lens in my eye and I lost sight in one eye, uh, and that was due to stress. For Christ, this, this job is really killing me. Fast forward a few more months, I then had a suspected heart attack, again due to stress. I had heart palpitations, so now I'm on beta blockers and everything else. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I've now got two yeah. kids. 
How old were you to... at that point? Uh, I was 30, 35, 36. Wow. Yeah. So that yeah. that's definitely your body saying, look, enough. No. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and this is my, I mean, I thought I was good with stress. Um, my body had other ideas. Most of my body saying, yeah, you've got to stop this. Yeah. And what I found myself doing, which we all find ourselves doing at some point in our career, I was chasing the money. I thought I needed to earn more and more money. And the reality of that was I was trying to earn more money so I could buy more shiny things. I could buy a better car. I could buy a new sofa. I could buy a bigger TV. And these things made me feel happy for a couple of weeks. And then these things became old. And then I was on to the next thing. And I thought we needed bigger, better all the time. And my wife said, it's killing you. You can't keep doing this. And why are you doing it? I said, because I can provide for my family so I can provide more and better. So we don't need that. We're fine the way we are. And we sat down and worked out exactly what we needed to earn or I needed to earn to pay the bills keep a roof over our head and look after our kids. And yeah. it was about half of what I was trying to earn. So I jacked it all in. I, I quit the job um, and I came back to Havenseath and I went to see the first farmer that, where I started my apprenticeship, where my boss rented a, a bit of um, a, a unit there. I said, um, Tony's name was, I said, look, Tony, I've got an idea and I'm, I want to kind of rent a field off you. He said, what do you want it for? I was like, I want to grow fruit and veg. And I want to, I'm going to supply some chefs in London. Now, I made a connection with, with a bloke in London I met when I was at the Westway. And I won't go into his name because he's a complete crook now. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but at the time, he he was working with lots of chefs and he was trying to do the right thing and he was collecting their food waste and things. And I liked that idea, this collecting food waste. And I allowed him to compost it on site at the Westway. And I could see the way he was doing it and I could see a much better way of doing it. So... When I came back, I rang him up, and well, he rang me, and I gave him some advice two years ago. And I said, if you do this and it starts to work, give me a call. And he called me and said, I'm doing it, and it's working, but I need you now. I need you on board. And I was like, well, can you afford me? He said, I can afford you now. So right. So I went and found a plot of land. A lot, after quite a lot of convincing, I got about three acres. Uh, it was an acre and a half to start with, and then we grew that into another field. Mm. And uh, the concept was we were going to, this other bloke can collect the food waste from all these different restaurants around London. They bring it to me. I would compost it, turn it into this amazing compost, put the compost onto a field, directly on top of the field. I couldn't afford a tractor and a plough, so I laid it on top of the grass, nice and thick, and that would cook the grass underneath, and I'd plant directly into the compost, and I'd separate the field into plots, and then I'd rent the plots back to the same chefs, and I'd grow all their fruit and veg for them. So I wasn't relying on wait until my crop reached harvest and then sell it and make the money. Every month I would get paid for that plot of land, which meant I could pay my bills. Yeah, that's actually a very sensible business model. That was was the idea. So that's how it started. Dopey bloke would be in London. He would be dealing with the chefs, bring me the um, um, compost, uh, the food waste, and then I'd give him the veg and he'd take it back to London. He dealt with all the chefs. I didn't really have any any interest in being in London doing that. I was quite happy growing the veg being in yep. my own field it was great and, and things were working out really well yeah fast forward a, a, a few months or a year and um i was starting to get a lot of pressure on me from this other bloke saying the chefs aren't happy you need to produce more and i was like, I can't really produce more I, i'm right from the start i decided i wasn't going to use artificial fertilizers and i wasn't using any chemicals that yep. was a given it was never going to happen and he was pushing me to produce more and more and more and, so, and he said the chefs aren't happy with the veg you're producing it's got to be better and i thought like, oh, i None of it was making sense. The stuff I was growing was incredible. It was amazing veg. I was eating it myself. It was great. It looked great. 
and I was reducing a lot of. I was filling up a, a Mercedes Sprinter van twice a week from my one one acre plot. Wow. One and a half acre plot. Yeah. So I thought, well, there's something not right. And this bloke, he didn't seem like he's being honest with me and something was wrong. So I started Full Circle Farms and I started an Instagram page. And a few of the chefs cottoned onto this. And all these top chefs all know each other. So Robin Gill realized that I'd started my own company. I was the farmer. I was the one growing the produce. We, 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 just, we had spoken a bit beforehand, so he didn't know about me. And he'd been down to see me and we filmed for... Sassy Kitchen, so we met each other. So other chefs noticed he was following Full Circle Farms. They all started following me, and most of them were our, were our customers because I wanted to flush out what was going on. So I was doing little videos, and it was me harvesting this beetroot at four in the morning on a Monday morning, a cylinder of beetroot looking lovely, and I'd put it in the box, and I'd make sure I'd say the date and the time I'd harvest it. And then I started getting messages from a chef saying, that beetroot you harvested on a Monday, we didn't get it till Thursday, and it's now all soft and wilted. So, right. That's right. the, that's where we've got a problem then. Yeah, something is going awry Something is here. going wrong, yeah. And yeah. then one day we were doing a launch event for Long Perrier Champagne um, and Adam Handlin, uh, one of the chefs, was, one of our customers was coming down and this other bloke who I was working with, he said, when Adam comes down, show him around his plot. And I was like, well, Adam hasn't got a plot. He said, no, no, he has, he has. Just tell him he has. He's like, no, no, no I'm not going to lie. He said, we have, and I, I, I kind of reeled off the chefs we were working with the plots are set out with their names i knew exactly who whose plot was whose basically it turns out he was running like a dodgy timeshare he was selling plots that didn't exist and he was taking all the veg and separating amongst way more chefs than we were actually contracted to grow for right so we did the event and um and i binned him off got rid of him and i said no way i'm not doing that i'd already had a conversation with robin robin said oh, i want to work directly with you fine we'll do that so um yeah, it cost me a lot of money because this other bloke then tried to take me to court and all sorts. It cost me about twelve and a half grand, which I had to put all on credit cards and things to fight him to keep my business to keep him out of the way. Yeah, well, it shows you that you're kind of principle. You know, you knew that you were in the right and that you're doing the right thing, and exactly, that you clearly yeah. wasn't. Yeah. Also shows you that kind of coming back to your earlier point about greed. Yeah. Here we are again. Yeah, yeah, greed. Yeah, and it's and that's what was driving it all for him. It was just greed, more and more money. I mean. There was the potential to make a huge amount of money out of what we were doing, but that was that wasn't my plan. Um, I'd already, like I said before, I'd already tried to chase the money. It didn't make me feel very well. So, my yeah. plan was to eventually, once we had enough chefs, was to use the farm as an educational place to teach kids and people and and chefs about where food comes from, why we grow the way we do, and the importance of why we do it. So, fast forward. A few, a few, a few more uh, months, um, and I was struggling a bit. Robin Gill's other restaurants hadn't opened up yet, so he wasn't able to rent them out of plots and pay me the money I needed. I was trying to help him out, and it was getting really, really tight. And this other investor came along, and they wanted to be on board. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm, one, he was an ex ex uh, investment banker, and the other one was an ex lister. And I met up with them. And I didn't get a great vibe from them, and they were all about money, 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 and I switched off. Basically, I was not, I'm not interested in that. But I was really struggling, and they were waving a lot of money at me. And then eventually, I gave in because they said, "Well, if you can grow the farms more, you can do more of this care farm stuff you want to do." And I was like, "Well, actually, yeah, that would be really cool if you can have bigger farms and more farms. I can help more people." And that's that's what got me basically. I, I was sold that dream of being able to fulfil my dream. Yeah. 
So I took them on. It turns out they were crooks as well when they were involved with this other <laughs> bloke way before. They end up taking my farm off me. Cut a long story short, I end up working direct for them. They employed me working directly for them. Got all the knowledge and connections with other chefs they thought they needed, and then they fired me. But they oh. legally had all the farm, all my employees, and all the equipment and everything else, and all the chefs. But again, after a lot of money, again, money I didn't have, um, I fought them through. They tried to make me bankrupt personally and tried to make the company bankrupt and basically blackmailed me and said, if I gave them the trademark for Full Circle Farms and and I stopped farming and I didn't do this anymore, they would drop all the kind of legal stuff on me. And I couldn't do it. I said, no. No, no, I said, no. no. Oh, I mean, that's, not... that's, that's you, right? That's your, that's me, your yeah, identity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's my identity. It's my trademark. It's my name. It's what everyone knows me for being. So I stuck to my guns um, and cost a lot, lot more money than I had. And I fought them in, kept fighting them and eventually got rid of them. They've now personally gone bankrupt themselves and everyone else to try and sue them because they didn't pay people's wages for three or four months. They weren't paying their, they were taking the contributions to their pension and keeping it themselves. They were making people work through furlough. They were absolutely hideous crooks and everyone left them and of course i stuck to my guns so all the chefs i was working with all started to come back but now i'm at a different level now now i really (laughs) you know if you if you were a chef and you didn't believe me if you went and worked with them i'm afraid afraid you don't get to work with me now i was telling the truth you didn't believe me so yeah i completely re-looked at what i was doing and um i then started working at birch which is one of the places that I I'd started working with them. And I'd gone there, looked at the project, chatted to the owners and things and um, looked at their plans and kind of said, well, that, that's not going to work. This is what you need to do. This is what I believe. And they said, okay, that's cool. Really, you know, really love you, Tom. Really love what you're doing. But at the time, they said, but we, we can't work with that other lot that you're, you're tied up with. So we really don't like them. There's something about them. We really don't like them. So that all fell apart and the Birch deal fell apart because of these other people. So when I got right. rid of them, I rung Birch up and said, look, I'm here. I'm by myself. I'm, I'm still, I'm still want to do this and I'm going to do it by myself now. They said, great. And I got started. And as you know, you walk around Birch and I set up the farm and the growing area there. Yeah. And, and uh, Robin Gill was there as well. Robin Gill. So Robin Gill was my, my introduction to the owners of Birch and that's how the connection started. Yeah. Um, because me and Robin Gill fell out at one point because he thought I was trying to rip him off, but it was all part of the plan from these other blokes. They went around to all the chefs and said, you know, we charge three grand a month, whatever, for an, for an acre plot. And I was I was charging four. And so they all thought I was trying to rip them off. And, and I wasn't. They had gone ahead and set up this new price without talking to me to make me look like the one who was trying to skim it off everyone and take more money. And I wasn't at all. So yeah. they'd started sowing this seed and, and, and cast it and trying to dirty my name, basically. Anyway, it, me and Robin had a chat. We got back together. It was fine. Got back into Birch, built Birch, and that provided me with the income. I knew Birch wasn't going to be forever because it's a big corporate. They're a big corporate kind of entity, and their main focus is their bottom line, which is fine. So I'd taken it as far as I could take it, and then they wanted to take on their own gardener and things, and they kept... they. I basically got pushed out to a point they just wanted me to do the tours. I'm very good at talking and talking about the whole thing. But... You've, you, I can confirm you are. Because, <laughs> yeah. well, you definitely, I mean, you're absolute, that's what I said at the, the top of the show. You, you properly inspired me yeah. with the way that you talked about it and the way that you kind of came at it 
like the solutions are here. This wasn't a doom and gloom discussion about all the things that yeah. are wrong. Yes, we're aware of the things that are wrong, and here they are. Yeah, but we've got the tools to be able to fix this. Yeah, uh, and that's always been my kind of drive forward. I mean, you've got the Greta Thunbergs of this world who kind of blame everyone, but they're not coming up with any solutions. And to be honest, the solutions are under our feet. It's the soil. It always has been. And it's always been there. But that doesn't make anyone a lot of money. So there's always other extravagant ways of doing things. But actually, it's very, very simple. So they wanted me just to do the tours and do the talks because that's what people really loved. But again, my morals got the better on me. I couldn't go around there talking about all the right things to do if they weren't going to be doing them. And yep. it wasn't me in charge of it. That that had been given to someone else. So I, it made me feel very uneasy and I couldn't do it. So I walked away and I came across a little plot of land down here, which was an old old kitchen garden. And we basically, we were given it. I, I pay a pound a year for it and thought, right, this is my opportunity. I was still kind of working at Birch a little bit at the time. So I was working seven days a week, two-hour drive up to Birch, two-hour drive back, and I was nearly knackered. But I thought, I need to do this a little bit longer because I need to create my dream, this farm. Many years ago, at the original farm, I met a man called Dave G. Dave G was a, a landscape gardener. In his previous career, he was a military policeman. And he used to come to the farm quite regularly and, and chat to me. Well, one day I said to Dave, like, how come you, you've been down the farm most of the week? Have you not got enough work at the moment? He's like, well, I have got loads. He said, but I'm, I'm having a bit of a wobble at the moment. And I was like, what do you mean a wobble? And he said, well, I've got PTSD and I just can't face going to work and dealing with stuff at the moment. He said, but come in here and chat with you really helps me. And I quite like quite like this and this farm is yeah. beautiful. I was like, okay, yeah. okay cool. So it got me thinking. And then years ago, I used to build sensory gardens for specialist schools for kids with special needs and things and I thought well actually there's there's something here I can I can educate people but I can also possibly heal people with this farm so we got chatting to a few other um, ex-military lads who were suffering PTSD got to the farm worked with them and cut a long story short they got them back on their feet and went back to work so I thought well this is something here so I looked into it and it turns out it's called horticultural therapy gardening with a posh name so it's actually a thing it's actually a thing. Americans gave yeah. it a posh name so they could then charge for it. I thought, well, I don't want to charge for it. I've, I've already created an income from working with these chefs. I can get double whammy from this farm. I can help people, educate people, and get people back on their feet and give them the confidence to get back to work and things, and possibly even grow our own farmers, our own chefs, and get people engaged and infused by all this. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, this is what I need to do. So we've came across this land. I took it on. I promised my friend Dave I would never give up, or never give up and never give in. It's the motto we have. Me and Dave were going to start this garden army company together, uh, and its sole purpose was going to be to help ex-military staff suffering from PTSD. Then I started looking at the causes of PTSD and the sufferers, and there was ambulance service, fire brigade, and and people in general life as well. I thought, well, mate, I just open the doors to everyone. So what the garden army stands for is actually helping everyone and creating an army of people who help each other. One of the biggest problems I had on the farm was labour because it's all done by hand, weeding, planting, yeah. seeding, it's all done by hand. Well, I thought, well, if I could get lots of people on the farm, get them involved in doing all this, working together, that addresses my labour problem. I'll be doing what I've always wanted to do in helping people and educating people where food comes from and creating a real community farm where we're doing the right thing for the environment, we're doing the right thing for the community and society and producing amazing food from it. It's a no-brainer to me. That's what I needed to do. It was going to make me feel better. So it, it in hindsight, it was a completely selfish thing. 
means I didn't have yeah, to go but... to London and try and earn money. So I created my own job and it's something I really love doing. I, so we decided we're going to do it together. But that, that's the best way. You, yes, it's on the surf, you, know, you, you can use the word selfish, but ultimately you're doing something that you care deeply about. Yeah. And the byproduct of that is, is that you also get the opportunity to help other people you know, yeah. get out of something that they're stuck in. Exactly. And uh, there is no, for, for me, there is no better feeling than helping people, opening their eyes and educating them all at the same time from something that is completely easy for me. I mean, I've been doing it for years. Teach me how to grow a bit of veg and prune a tree and things is so easy for me. But for other people, it's absolutely incredible and they love it and they latch onto it. And I love seeing that and that enthusiasm. Yeah. But once you have that enthusiasm, you can then create some pretty amazing farmers and gardeners and chefs as well. You get people's enthusiasm for it. And that's where I've started working with chefs and things and getting them infused, getting them excited. And when you bring a chef to the farm, and years ago when I used to bring chefs to the farm to try and convince them to rent a plot, they kind of wander around, go, oh, it all looks very nice. And I'm like, try that. And they're the radish. So right now, try that one. Tell me which one you prefer. And they go, Christ, that one is peppery. It's burning in my mouth. You know, what's, what's that one? So that one's grown here. And that one came from Waitrose. I didn't go and get it from Lidl. I went to Waitrose, the best bank, got organic radish. We're yeah. as good as the stuff I was producing. And that got them excited. Like, well, what are you doing? I was like, I'm doing nothing. I just chuck it in the ground. I feed the soil with amazing composts and manures and things, and that's where you get your flavour from. I don't speed anything up. I don't put any artificial fertiliser. just let to do its own thing, and that's where your flavour comes from. And that gets them excited. And then I had a queue of chefs who wanted to rent plots. Yeah. So me and Dave are going to start this garden army. So I rung up Dave a couple of weeks before we were supposed to go and see the accountant. I said, Dave, you ready for the meeting next week? He said, I can't, can't come. And I was like, oh, what's up? He said, I've just crashed the truck. So like, Dave, you've oh got I say, you I'm getting from your story <laughs> is all that we talked earlier on about how um you know all those kids that are not being given the uh the tools to deal with what life chucks at you. Yeah. By God, you've had some stuff chucked at you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It gets there are there are there are other things as well. Um thrown <laughs> a few curveballs in my life. But uh so Dave so said he I mean, crashed the truck. I said, Okay, you, are you okay? He's like, Well, I said, it wasn't a bad question, but when I got out to talk to the lorry that I hit, he had his massive caravan on the back, I, I passed out. I, 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 well, I said, I kind of passed out. I laid on the floor and I couldn't move. So oh, that's a bit weird, Dave. He's like, yeah, they want to go do a load of tests on me and things. I was like, okay, well, go and get your test done, make sure you're all right. And he was a really fit, strong fellow. He was ex-military. He was always running. He was, you know, he was, he was a proper little ox. Hmm. And he came back to me a week later. and said, should we book this meeting? He's like, I can't. I was like, well, why? He's like, well, Turns out I've got I've got grade four brain tumor, inoperable. As I oh my god, actually yeah. inoperable. Is, you're gonna you're gonna die from this. And he's like, yeah, they give me about a year. I was like, fuck. Yeah, that yeah. was a real kick in the bollocks. And so we we sat on the farm, had a cup of tea, uh, and I'm I don't know what it is about me. I'm I'm quite okay with death. It doesn't really bother me. And Dave was the same. So we we're having this quite frank conversation. He's like, so what are you going to do then? If you're going to cark it in a year, and he said, well. We're going to go on holiday. What we're going to do? And he's like, and we we chatted away about life and you know how important it is. And I was going through some shit at the time with this other investor I'd taken on. Dave was still coming to the farm, and about three or four months before Dave went into assisted living kind of care, end of life care, he was predominantly blind by this point, and in loads of steroids, and his head was all swollen up, and he was a bit of a mess. And 
Bless him. He was pretty pretty fed up by this point. And I was walking around the farm. He was on my arm because he was blind. And I was chatting to him about all these problems around this investor and how they look. At, I think they're going to take over the farm. They're going to take my farm. They're taking all the employees. They're not they're not paying me, blah, blah, blah. I said, I think I have to jack it all in. He's like, we can't give up. I said, well, what else am I going to do, Dave? You know, I, I, I've got no option. And I found myself whinging and bitching to this bloke who's going to die. He's been given this death sentence. He's going to be leaving his family and his little boy Noah, who is confined to a wheelchair. I thought, what the hell am I whinging for? You know, yeah. I've got a healthy wife. I've got a, two healthy kids. I've got a roof over my head. And I'm healthy, most importantly. I can still provide for my family. I thought, shit, you're right, Dave. And he's like, you never give up. You never give in. He said, promise me you'll never give up. He said, They've, they can take the employees. They can take the farm. He said, they haven't got you, which means they haven't got a business. He said, you're the only one who can make this happen. So I promised him I wouldn't give up. And a year, year and a half after he died, I went to his funeral in full John Deere overalls. He was brought in on the back of a John Deere tractor. Um, <laughs> And we buried him and we had a good piss up and yeah, it was a good send off for him. And I, I'd made this promise I wasn't going to give up and I would start the Garden Army one day. So we started the Garden Army in Dave's name. Um, we've only been going a year and we have 46 regular volunteers from all walks of life with autisms, with learning difficulties, with PTSD, with depression, with anxiety, all these different things. And this farm is utterly incredible and I'm massively proud of it. One of the things I needed to do with this farm was I needed to create an income because, yes, I can plant and grow lots of stuff. I didn't have an income at the time for it. Mm. So we partnered up with Sodexo and my mate, Ben Dutson, who runs Sodexo Live, and got chatting to him. And I said, this is what we're doing. Got him to the farm. I knew if I could get a chef to the farm, I knew I'd be able to yeah, sell it. That's it. Yeah, totally. They're in. Got him to the farm. He's like, right, we've got to do it. It's amazing. It's incredible. We're going to be easy part. So we are partnered with Sodexo now, which means I can pay my mortgage and pay for a little bit of the running of the farm. It's still very, very tight because all my wages still, most of it, after I pay a mortgage, all goes back into running the farm. So we're yeah. still looking to earn more money and create a, a more sustainable model. But the model is there and we're tweaking it. And once we've got this model sorted, we want to roll it out across the whole of the UK. And we want to start all these little garden army farms to help chefs and people all around different cities and things um, and start getting back to collecting food waste and turning it into compost and educating people on the whole process. And that's what then kind of links me with people like Raymond Blanc. So when we do the Chelsea Flower Show, I'm on stage with Raymond, who's become quite a friend now, which is amazing. I know he's a very famous chef and everyone knows him. To me, he's a very, very kind old fella. who's <laughs> just yeah. a lovely, passionate man. And I just yeah. see him as this, like a granddad, if you like. And he's just this amazing fella. And we have chats and we talk. So next year, we're going to do Chelsea Flower Show. We do the hospitality area. So we normally grow a little bit of veg and there's a garden designer who comes and plants it out. And we this year, we took the tractor up there and we had a bit of a display at the front. And each year, we're going to do bigger and better and really get that word out there and educate people on regenerative farming and why we need to look after our soils and things as well. And Raymond's massive behind it. And all these top chefs are like, have now really got on board. And they're like, well, you know, they need amazing ingredients. The only yeah. way you can have amazing ingredients is you don't, pardon my French, fuck around with the soil. You know, this is where your food comes from. It's where life comes from. And if you mess around with it and you try and speed things up and you get greedy because you want things quicker, faster, you want to yeah. ramp up production, you're just going to make yourself ill. And that's why we have this rise in chronic illness and things because of the crap we're eating. Yeah. Um, 
and then the, you see on, on the news we're all panicking because we're running out. Farmers are running out of fertilizer. If we hadn't been so reliant on fertilizer, we wouldn't have this problem. And when you watch Jeremy Clarkson's um, uh, show, and he did, he did amazing. I mean, love him or hate him, that show was really good. And he could have approached that in many different ways, but he approached it like a rich idiot, which is exactly the way he should have done it. He's got this <laughs> army, he has no idea what he's doing. Yeah. This twenty-two-year-old lad, Caleb who's been in farming all his life, knows how to do it, knows how to set up the tracks, knows how to plough, knows when to, knows all the other farmers. Same as kind of me. He's actually better than me. But but that principle, like, he worked his absolute arse off the entire year, made 140 quid, and that is the reality of farming. We keep pushing prices of food down. Who do you think it affects? Yeah. The farmer eventually is just going to have to yeah. lower his standards to produce food cheaper for you. Yeah. And, that, and that's been... I feel like that's been on the agenda for you know 10 plus years really whereby I talked about like I, I always remember I had a mate whose father worked in the dairy business and he you know they just kept on getting railroaded railroaded you know how yeah. low how low how low how low and ultimately that has a limit right you either yeah. put people out of business because they're just not making any money or enough to sustain and yeah. who wins it's one part of the the whole machine that wins the only, the only person who wins but it's only a short-term win are the big supermarkets and the big suppliers like that yeah they would win in the short term because they've screwed everyone in on price they've put their prices up they're making bigger profits but eventually they run out of farmers yeah and then they've got to import it and that's where we are now we used to be such a big strong that's why we were invaded by everyone because we were such amazing farmers we had such amazing soil and land everyone wanted to come here to farm and steal our land and now we import everything and we've paid our farmers to sit on their ass the last 30 40 years on subsidies and we've become comfortable with that yeah but now what the government is looking to do is oh, they've got this new great idea this new regenerative farming bill where you won't get any subsidies as a farmer unless you're farming in a regenerative way well guess what most of our farmers are now in the late 70s 80s do you think any of those farmers are going to get back into full-scale farming again? They're knackered. They've mm. been beaten up for years by the government and by supermarkets and things. They've had enough. Yeah. And guess what? They've told all their young people coming through, don't ever be a farmer. There's, break no, it back. Yeah. There's no money in it. So where are no. all our farmers? They're all buggered off. They're all retired to France, but most of them actually. Most of them aren't right. <laughs> So now we've got these, these kids, these younger kids who are going to college, agriculture colleges, and um, they're being told, the same as I was being told when I went to college, if you want to look after a big estate or a big farm, you need to do your PA1 and PA6, your spraying licences, because otherwise you won't keep on top of your pest and disease and your weeds and things. And all these kids are getting into £200,000 tractors, and that to them is farming. Right. Sitting in a two hundred thousand pound tractor, and you drive around all day, and I still do it. I still go and do some contracting work to keep my hand in with that side of things. And I sit in a two hundred thousand pound John Deere tractor for sixteen hours a day, driving around farms, collecting silage and tipping into pits and things, or spreading muck. The, the contractor I work for it does an amazing job, and, he, and he's right on board with kind of injecting the, the muck into the ground, sort of spraying it everywhere, so he gets more effects and all this kind of stuff. So he's doing the right thing. But what I've noticed is, first of all. All those farmers have been beaten up for years. I mean, farming has the highest suicide rate in any industry. Goodness. Um, these farmers are taking their own lives. All the new blood coming into farming, they're sitting in tractors for 16, 17 hours a day, which is fine for the first couple of years. It's all very exciting. Big tractors, loads of power. It's great. 
and then they realise they haven't got a chance to meet any girls or boys. They've got no relationships. They're getting older. They want kids. They want, but they're in a tractor seventeen hours a day, so they don't get to see anyone, and they're getting depressed yeah. because of that. And they've got no real life, and it's just work, work, work. Now these kids are now talking about taking their own life and suffering depression and drinking too much and all this. So we're not even skipping a generation. We're skipping we're a not couple even skipping of generations. A generation where the the this poison is is, is carried on. Yeah. So what we want to do is we want to get hold of our own farm, uh, a relatively big farm. We've only got three and a half acres at the moment. We want to get hold of a farm you know, between 10 and 300 acres. And we want to run the whole farm in a regenerative way, but educate the next generation coming through and prove to them that you can make a very good living from just slowing down, just taking a, taking a step off the, off the gas don't worry about your 200-pound tractor. We, my, my one cost me five grand a few years ago. It's from 1956. I bloody hate the thing now. It keeps breaking down. But it's still, <laughs> you know, it, it plods along. Yeah. But most it's done by hand anyway. So we want to educate kids and we want to do courses on this farm and say, well, look, there is a there is a demand for rare breed pigs. The hospitality industry want Saddleback because, or Tamworth it's because it, the flavour in the meat's incredible and it's slow-grown and it's... And the pig, we use the pigs to kind of turn the land over for us and put that fertilizer back into the soil. Yeah. Um, got loads of rescue chickens. Get a load of rescue chickens and then produce eggs and sell eggs. You know, you might get two or three hundred eggs a day, and you can sell them. Get some heritage seeds. Start growing some really old crops, but not monocropping. Not twenty acres of the same thing. Break them up. Have a twenty-acre field by all means, but in that twenty-acre field, you're going to have a hundred different rows of a hundred different varieties of veg. And then do pick your own and things like that. And just try and set up smaller businesses within agriculture. Then you know, take this young lad from college and then set him off and go, right, can you go and run one of our farms? You've got to, you're going to run this farm as a normal farm, but at the same time, you're going to be helping educate people, helping people who are a bit down the luck and building people back up again. And that will give them a real yeah. sense of being part of a community. They're going to see people every day. They're going to be talking to people every day. They won't be lonely. They're going to be giving back to society. And we're producing amazing food from it. What we yeah. sell at the farm at the moment so is... To make us all healthier and so make on us all so healthier, forth. we'll be stronger because we're eating the right stuff. Um, chefs will be getting amazing ingredients rather than just ringing up whoever just to deliver stuff to them. They'll be more engaged with food, which is where we need our chefs to be. And that, that excitement and that enthusiasm will go through to the customer. So when you go to... Yeah. A restaurant and that chef comes in and goes oh we've got an amazing bit of beef here it's actually from one of our farms that we rent a, a plot of land with farmer tom and these are there's a, a dexter beef and it's free roamed and they help manage the land and then that enthusiasm will come across to the club the, the customer who might be paying slightly higher prices but they'd be happy to pay those prices because the stuff on their plate is incredible and it's supporting yeah. all of what we've just spoken about as well yeah. And this is where I see the hospitality industry, the higher end of the hospitality industry to start with going towards. But now working with Sodexo, I see it kind of filtering down into bigger hospitality kind of events, Ascot and things like that. And all of a sudden, we are now educating 4,000 people a day at Ascot or something, feeding them with produce that we've grown regeneratively. And that yeah. story is filtering through. And like I, you probably might remember when I, was doing, when I did the talk at Birch, I, I finished with the fact like what I want to you to get from that talk was I want to change something in you. Let you go away and go, 
I'm not going to buy that cheap pork. I'm going to I'm going to save up a bit more. And I'm going to buy the more expensive stuff because then we uh, we all start eating less meat. That addresses that little thing. And you may not be able to afford all organic food, but if you buy a few things on on your shopping list organic, all of a sudden the trend starts to change in those supermarkets, and that filters down to us farmers growing the produce, and then yeah. we start changing things. Then well, that's always been the um, the argument of the supermarkets, hasn't it? Is be that oh, we're just completely driven by consumer trends, but yeah, yeah really. But you, so you don't have the power to actually manipulate yeah. those trends a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it all kind of, it, it's all it's all run by greed and the need for more and more and more and more and more money to buy more yeah. and more shiny things, which doesn't help anyone. Yeah, and you get, well, you get into a stage which is, it feels like when maybe the reset button has begun to be pressed on this. Um, I think so. I think so. The 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 feeling I get now is. When people visit the farm and I talk to people, like, oh yeah, it's it's all very it's all lovely and it's talk about this idyllic life and having all organic veg. So, but I can't afford organic veg. I can't afford a decent food, and that's where the farm actually is going to start changing things because I don't pay for all this labour to grow the veg. The veg is at, and the veg and all the meat we eventually will have on the farm is actually a byproduct of what the farm stands for. The farm stands for growing people. We grow people and the veg is a byproduct. So I don't need to make a lot of money from the veg. So I sell the veg very cheaply because I want everyone to access it. I'm not just middle class. I want everyone to access it. I want families on low income to access decent food, to feed their kids decent food. And that's the the difference with, with, with this kind of blinkered approach to we've got to produce, we've got to produce lots and lots of food and we've got to do it cheap because that's what people want. When if we actually change the model slightly and we use the farm to do more, not just the farm's close and we grow veg, if we can charge chefs for plots of land rather than trying to sell the crop, the the stress on the farmer is reduced. The farmer's then got maybe a bit more time to have more uh, corporate away days and things on the farm and educate more people and make the farm like a bit of a tourist destination, but with the purpose to educate people on the whole process. Then all of a sudden, that farmer's got a better income from all this happening, and the veg can be sold. I think he's still going to make money from it, but not up here. He can sell it very cheap and try and sell it direct or whatever, yeah. and that starts to address that problem. I mean, I tried to. I, I did a test, and I for a month I shopped organic and local. I didn't buy anything that wasn't local or British organic. And it cost me three hundred and seventy-five pounds a shop, and we got through it in a week. Wow! Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the reality of the problem. I yeah, can't yeah. afford it. <laughs> yeah, and, and and a vast majority of uh, of consumers would be the same. And I always remember um, Hugh Fernley Whittenstall doing the the kind of the chicken thing yeah, a few yeah. years back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which was all which is all great, and he is trying to do the right thing. But I can't afford twenty five pound fully organic reared chicken. Yeah. So I have to buy them. I, I try and buy British, but it's going to be a five six pound bird rather than the twenty odd quid. Eventually, we'll stop having them on the farm so i can live off the farm a bit more yeah yes this is the reality of it and and especially now with the cost of living and this will affect hospitality as well the first thing to to try and get the elbow is going to be going out for dinner isn't it if you can't afford to put food in the cupboard you can't afford to go out for dinner so again the hospitality industry is going to get absolutely hammered and really struggle so we need to find a way to support the industry which in turn supports us which in turn supports the economy um so now, educating people on this process will, will hopefully help and hopefully keep the hospitality industry because there's some amazing chefs out there, but they're 
they're, they're losing the will to cook, if you like, because they're leaving the industry. And now it's so hard to get their hands on a decent chef because they've just had enough yeah. and they've got families to feed. It's, it's all part of the same process and mindset, though, isn't it, About in terms of what you're talking about with, uh, with regards to farming and it being all about you know cheaper faster more kind of thing it kind of comes down to the 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 chasing the money thing that you're talking about earlier on within your own life it's actually the same in business if businesses are focused purely on the chase the money focus then something in that process is going to be broken because of it yeah yeah and that's then when you start things will break down and they'll ultimately get to a point where something has to change fundamentally because either there are not enough chefs anymore they're not enough farmers anymore so we need to press the reset button and figure out how do we re-inspire and make sure that everybody who is involved in this process is going to win and is going to come out you know not everybody's going to be rich but you'll be rich in life because you'll be eating better you'll have more time and this is it the the the, the concept of money and being rich is what everyone's striving for that's what instagram encourages you to be you know you want the fancy watch you want to have all these lovely things around you my little boy freddie who's now eight he turned around to me a couple of weeks ago and he said daddy are you rich i said yeah i'm the richest man on the planet he said are you i was like yeah he said have you got loads of money then i was like no he's like but how are you rich i was like well i've got you boys i've got a roof over my head and a beautiful wife i said and i'm healthy and you're healthy and mum's healthy and yeah. we've got a farm and we're outside all the time yeah, I've done something you're passionate about. I ever wanted. That's yeah. why I'm rich, and 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 that he remembers that now, and because he was starting to want to buy things, and he's very interested in money now, and he's very good at seeing more money than I have. Um, but, he, <laughs> you know, this, but this focus was becoming on money, and I wanted to change that and educate him that it's not all about money. People always say, you know, having money doesn't make you happy. It makes it bloody hard to be miserable. If you've got loads of money, don't get me wrong. It yeah. will, if I had a load of money, life would be a lot easier. I wouldn't be struggling so much. But I think part of that struggle is what actually builds us up, which is what makes yeah. us stronger and more resilient. Is actually I having totally, that I believe in that. I believe yeah. in that. I think if, if everything is too easy all of the time, then it's kind of, you know, why are we here, right? I mean, it, it's you need yeah. challenge. You need to find that thing that gets you off your backside and yeah. actually gets you and doing something. And I, you have to work through multiple things sometimes to get to that one thing that that, that yeah, sings to you yeah and and i the story i tell about my life and and the struggles and and in business and everything else i talk to kids about that in school sometimes so i've done a couple of talks at schools with kids who are seen to be underachieving and they're the naughty boys and girls and i get them in a class and i had one group at Oak hall actually and uh the teacher asked me to tell them the story about because that's my from when I left school to where I am now. And I was like, well, okay, so uh, do you want me to, to ease back on some of the language? And then I just tell them. Like, so I did. And these kids were, they couldn't kind of believe it. And they were saying, oh, like, school's crap, school's hard. And I was like, no, school is the most easiest part of your life. You don't know it now. I said, well, when yeah. you leave this school, that's when the real kind of shit hits the fan. You've then got to start working. You've got to try, you know, and then once you're working, you then got to stop paying bills. You've got life to deal with. You're going to have relationships that are going to break down. You're going to struggle to get a mortgage. You might even lose your house at one point. You're going to want a car. You might crash the car and then have credit cards to pay and all this. I said, life is bloody hideous. So you get tough of it now or 
what we see in society now is this massive breakdown in our mental health because we're just not prepared for what life gives you. And it will keep kicking you down and you just got to keep getting back up. But people can't get back up these days. And they lay there and go, oh, life's difficult. Oh, I've got depression. I've got this, I've got that. Okay, well, we need to build you up then. And that's what the farm does. And it's it's about building people up, giving them the confidence. and, And key is giving them the resilience, is teaching them resilience that you can't, you carry on. You never give up. You never give in. And you just keep pushing forward because life isn't going to get easier. No one's going to give you a break. So you've got to find a way to make it work. And yeah. that is the same for business. It's the same for life. You've just got to find a way to make it work. And that's what we really see the difference in people when they come to the farm. They come, when they arrive, they're in some pretty dark places sometimes. And then... We, we hear from them now so they've opened up a bit more and they say, well, if it wasn't for the farm, they, they, their life would be very, very much different. And mm. they may not even be here. Uh, one bloke who's an author, and he's actually writing a book about the garden army and his experience there at the moment. Lovely, amazing fella. But um, he was, he was in a pretty dark place and on the verge of giving up. And then he found the farm and he just comes along there sometimes and he'll sit in the sun and write his book and talk to the chickens. You know, that's the thing about the farm. You can do as much or little on the farm as you want. You can sit there and chill out all day if you want. It doesn't bother me. Um, the farm is there to give you a bit of a break, allow you to get back on your feet, and then give you that confidence that you can go in and muck the chickens out or you can plant something and grow food. Now, you put that seed in the ground and it grew into something that you're able to eat and fill your tummy and your family you know, and it and it's not difficult. <laughs> you chuck yeah. stuff. In well, the as you say, you you're kind of uh, putting it in the ground and then leaving it alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's not rocket science, and, and everything yeah. I do on the farm, people come along and say, "Oh, this is so amazing! This is so inspirational." I'm not. I've just looked at how we used to do things before the Second World War. How did we survive then? We we yeah. didn't have all this messing around. It is much. It's a much simple life, and maybe we need to go. We need to go way back. In order to go forward again, I completely uh, agree. Yeah, yeah. So, just um, I'm conscious of that. T- I literally could sit here and talk to you all day. Quite <laughs> frankly, I, 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 and I suppose that's the key point. Is if there's anybody who's listening to this, who has been a, a little bit inspired, that kind of like I was that day walking ar- around with you uh, around Birch. Where should they go to to kind of learn more about this stuff? What what's a really good first place to to start uh, investigating? Well, of course, I'm going to say the farm uh, because it's a good yeah. group that that's one of the things we do on the farm. Now we do tours. The the, the bigger estate that we're actually on, there's um, glamping pods there, so you can come and stay on the farm um, and have a whole tour and a farm experience day. So can I give you the tour and then you get your hands dirty you get your hands in that soil and get it under your fingernails, get the sun on your back with the rain in your face. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it will make you feel better. And I pretty much guarantee when you finish that day, you will feel probably a bit achy and a bit knackered, but that feeling will make you feel incredible. And that's pretty another podcast about the science of soil and how that actually is really good for our body and things. Right. But come to the farm. Um, come and stay on the farm. Come for a visit. We've got lots of interesting things around us. We've got, we've got a Wakehurst place down the road, which is, which is a part of the Kew Gardens partnership. We've got the Bluebell Railway steam engine, steam engine. Things can go through the Sussex countryside in a steam engine. You can get, we're only 30-odd minutes from Brighton to go to Brighton for the day, and you can come and stay on the farm with Glamping Pod, have some amazing food with us. We've got a brewery on site as well. Come and get engaged and find out what we're doing and be part of it. And the money you pay to do that 
goes back into the Garden Army and that helps more people as well. So, yeah. When, when? There's also Nepa State, which is, isn't too far from us. That's about 40 minutes away. And that's a, I think it's a 1,500-acre dairy farm years ago, which they gave up with. They literally just closed the doors and went, right, nature, do your thing. And now it's one of the most important rewilding projects anywhere on the planet. It's incredible. Um, right. So that's another really interesting. Come and see us, have some food, have a drink, have a look around, get involved with the day, and the following day, then go to NIP and see the next stage on, see what happens when you let nature do its thing. It's incredible. So there's yeah. a lot you can do down here. Um, good books to read are Wilding, which is about NIP estate, and it's an audio book as well, so that's quite good. And then a couple of kind of films to watch. There's Kiss the Ground. Ah, uh, it's about her. And, yeah, and uh, Need to Grow, and another one called Little Farm or something, or My Little Farm. That's another really good one. It's about a couple who wanted to start their own small regenerative farm in a, like a desert when they started. But, uh, yeah, really interesting, the journey of that and the struggles and things. But, uh, yeah, they're all interesting things. And there's more coming out all the time. Um, yeah. Well, as it as it gets more interest, isn't it? Isn't that, that's, that's the that's yeah. thing. And, and I think yeah. it's it's Woody Harrelson that uh, narrates the Kiss the Ground, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. The, so they're yeah. getting high-profile people to kind of this, narrate these things as well. And, and yeah. the more people who've got power can actually maybe exactly. affect change. It's, it's, it's making sure we keep that balance between the people who've got the money and the power to do these things, and then how do we make that accessible for everyone? And how do yeah. we... Uh, if, if you're lucky enough to inherit some money and you want to buy a plot of land, there should be something there to help you, encourage you, and, and support you in creating your own place to grow your own food. And that's what I do on the side. I do some consultancy work. So if you have a plot of land or a farm or you've inherited a farm or you you own a farm and you just have a contract farmer come in and do it, but you're concerned that things aren't going quite the right way or you want to make sure that farm's there for the rest of your family, then I can come along and have a look and educate you and help you. Because for me, it's more important that more people try than and, and, and succeed than try and in the first season it all goes wrong and they just give up a bit yeah. because as soon as you give up something aren't resilient enough to keep going so i want to be there to help people to to want to who want to grow their own food but it could be on a rooftop it could be a in a countryside it could be in, in a city farm i'm there to help get these projects going support them and keep them driving forward to then pass on to the next custodian to to take that land on and grow for the local community and things as well so yeah, fantastic, great stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose the the question on that then is, is if if people do want to connect with you on this, yeah, even if just to come and visit and have a a look and nosy what you're what you're up to, what's the best way for them to get in contact with you? They can go through the website, which is www.garden-army.com, um, and you can have a look at what they're doing. There, you can email us through there. You can email me directly, Tom at gardenarmy, garden-army.com. Um, or give me a call, my um, number's on the website, and have a chat. And, yeah, but, but initially the best thing to do is come down and get stuck in and, and, and really immerse yourself in it. If it's something you want to go into for as a career, then why not come down and volunteer for a, for a, for a few weeks uh, and get a real feel for it? Because when you look at our farm, it looks idyllic, it all looks beautiful, but it's a lot of hard graft sometimes. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. The reality of it, if it is, is your back is going to ache and you're going to have a sunburnt neck and you're going to have a weird farmer tan like me. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so it is really hard graft. But once you get yourself conditioned to that, 
the rewards are massive. But yeah. Um, so yeah, my suggestion sometimes is come and get involved for a few weeks. If you if you want to do it yourself, come and get involved for a few weeks. See what actually is what it entails, and then off you go. And, and we're we're trying to support you as much as we can to to go on. And if anyone wants to start another care farm somewhere, I'm there to help and advise. I'm, I'm the garden army is my baby, and it's something I believe in. But I, I'm fully encourage more and more people to do this because if more people do it, we help more people. This isn't about me protecting my brand or something. Go and do it, and I and we'll, yeah. we'll help you where we can. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I, I, there's definitely a lot left to unpack yet. I think with uh, yeah. with this, we're just scratching the surface. This is just really, I suppose, to give people a taster of something really positive that's happening in uh, in and around hospitality. I mean, you're clearly linked uh, very closely to to the world of hospitality, and everything else that you're doing is is just wonderful. So. You've had to walk through your own pile of dung to get to where you are, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, what's it? Sly Stallone says, uh, "Ain't how hard you can hit, it's how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward." That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you're clearly doing that, and we can take a lot of inspiration from that. So thank you, thank you so much for your time. No problem. Thank you so much, Tom. I wish no you all the very best with the uh, the project going forward, and um, yeah. I, I would very much like to have another chat with you about um, the science um, yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. So we'll maybe do that again as a special yeah, in the future. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Love to, mate. Good stuff. Cool. Nice one. All right, mate. Take care. I'll see you soon. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Cheers. And there we have it. What a phenomenal journey Tom has had so far, demonstrating what it's achievable when you never give up and never give in. He's given us so many great snippets, a massive thank you to him for that. We'll be back on Wednesday at 8pm with another belter of a story from hospitality, but until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you then.